0: All right, I know it feels like it's been a year, but I know technically it hasn't been, but it feels that way. We need to go back and hopefully, well, the goal tonight was to finish, but we're not going to be able to finish, obviously, since we're starting almost 20 minutes late, Um, but I will get as much done as we can. We need to go back to baptism in the early church, and we're going to be looking tonight at Hippolytus and the apostolic tradition is what we're going to be looking at tonight. The Apostolic Tradition of Hippolytus of Rome is what we're going to be reading from. The Apostolic Tradition of Hippolytus of Rome. It should be easy to find online. It should be. It should be. If you can't find it, let me know if you can spell Hippolytus for you. Okay. Hippolytus is spelled H-I-P-P-O-L. Y-T-U-S. The apostolic tradition of Hippolytus. All right, if you need time finding it. This one one won't be like Tertullian, you definitely needed to have in front of you. If you don't have this one in front of you, it should not create that many problems. Okay. H-I-P-P-O-L-Y-T-U-S. Politis. Yeah, yeah, L-Y-T-U-S. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, Tertullian you had to have. This one is not that big deal. No, we're not doing the whole thing. No, we're not doing the whole thing. We're going to be starting probably, I keep debating with myself where we want to start. Probably start with... um, Fifteen. Where we start with fifteen, where we're going to probably start. But I'm going to do an introduction, or at least a little bit of an introduction here. It's going to be a bunch of names and everything, but we'll we'll see if we can work through uh, some of the basic information. All right. Is everybody good? Tell me when you're good to go. All right. I'm will give you. i going to do as much as I can here, and then if we, we, Sunday, if we need to finish it, we'll finish it. If we need to repeat a lot of this Sunday, we will, we'll, we'll, wherever. All right, here we go. The apostolic tradition of Hippolytus of Rome was composed at approximately 215 A.D. in Rome. 215 A.D. in Rome. All right, has anybody got the, the date for Tertullian? I think Tertullian was 220, I think. Could be. Let's see if Stacy has it in her notes. I didn't uh, bring my notes for Tertullian. And it's a date, so even if I think I remember, I could say 223 and be wrong. 215. 215. Yes, 197 to 220. Oh, 197 to 220. Okay, oh, so. Because it has the earlier date of 197, that's why I did it before this one, yes. right? because it technically could have been before this one. But it's relatively at the same time, relatively close to the same time. All right? So what we have done is we, we started with the Didache, right? And then we jumped to uh, Tertullian. And we saw that there was a massive difference between the two, did we not? Like night and day difference. Now we're going to go to Apollotus to see how is he more in line with, the Didache? Is he more in line with Totolian, Or does he go in a completely opposite direction as well? No matter where they where they well, pr- well it poss- pr- I'm a, I'm a, I would argue that it did probably have a lot to do with the region they were in, but would once again demonstrate that the church was being influenced by a lot of other things about what they were doing, which then comes into question. If they're being influenced by these things then that that, is irregard, that that doesn't matter to us, right? Because what we supposedly are trying to figure out is what does the, the Bible say? And Tertullian's use of scripture was very suspect at best, right? And, and, and the Didache didn't, obviously didn't even quote, quote it because, I mean, that, well, I'm, I'm going to take that back. If you read the Didache, it's very much a lot of it's from the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm saying they didn't have chapter and verse or anything to really reference because it was so early on. All right, so just so that we understand that. Okay, so are we good to go? All right, here's a little bit of information. The Didache, the apostolic tradition, or the Didache, the apostolic tradition of Hippolytus was composed in approximately 215 and Rome. It apparently preserved older second century practices which were in danger of falling to disuse or innovation. So, supposedly what was happening is some of these ideas and practices were already in danger of falling away in around 215 A.D. In other words, what was happening? They say innovation, but the church was what? Church was changing. Innovation was occurring. You could say evolution was occurring. The church was evolving and changing. Now, I find that a fascinating sentence because it's 215 A.D., so, it, so, what do we, so what can we uh, uh, guess as, for those of us living in 2023, whenever we want to talk about the early church, what is the one thing we should Im- immediately realize? That the church has always been in the process of change. Has always been in the process of change, will always be changing. And so what's the one thing that doesn't change? Scripture. So in reality... Uh, in theory, the church should never change. However, the church is constantly changing. Right? So, if the church is constantly changing, then what, what, are, what are our guesses on why? Well, I, I think what we can say is, because this ultimately, well, I'm hold, for those listening online, I'm holding a Bible... This has never truly been the authority, no matter how much we claim that it is. What's always been the authority? We have. We've always been the authority. And, and any denial of that is just a lie. We're the authority, right? I can, because we know. I can stand here and preach from the scriptures, and then you can sit there and do what? Disagree, and then you're going to walk away believing what? That you're right. Well, we both can't be right if, if if the scriptures are the authority. We both can't be right. So either we're both wrong and we don't understand the scriptures, or one of us is right. But each one is going to think we're right, and meaning we're ultimately the final authority. And I, 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 I'm, I, I I've grown to say that I've grown weary of it. It would be the greatest understatement in the world. To now, my attitude is just less, I don't even really care anymore if someone disagrees. I just don't even care. I've I've, I've almost. Like you talk about just, you know, like breaking a horse. You know, I, I'm just broken now. Like I just like whatever. I don't even care anymore. But because it doesn't matter. It does. It literally does not matter. I can preach. I can study. It doesn't matter how many schools I've gone to. Doesn't matter degrees. Doesn't matter how I can study for a thousand hours, and someone who's not studied for fifteen minutes will tell me I'm wrong and believe what they want. It's. It, it, study doesn't matter, education doesn't matter, reading doesn't matter, It literally everyone's just going to do whatever they want to do. And so, I, I know I probably shouldn't have reached such an absolute, broken, jaded, cynical mindset, but I'm telling you, <laughs> okay. but I'm just saying, ministry just does that to you. You're just kind of like, oh, alright, whatever, it doesn't matter. But, that, but I just want you to see that in 215 AD, what was already happening? Changing. Changing. It's changing. Yeah, innovation. Now, Hippolytus was a presbyter of the Roman church at the, at, at the time, and was so distraught over the innovating practices of his former friends, the Pope uh, Zephyranius, and his successor, uh, if I can get his name right, Callistus, is that, sounds okay? Are we okay with that? Is that d- decent? All right. That he set himself up as history's first antipope. That's interesting. Right? Why, why would he set up his, himself as the first antipope? <laughs> he, did, he, did, he disagreed what was going on. Don't you love that? Like in some ways, like in some ways it's got to make us happy. Right? Because it just shows that whenever somebody says something, oh, I don't know what's happening in 2023. It was going on in 250. And we're like, oh, Luther was the first one to stand. No, people have been fighting and arguing throughout church history. Right? So right here, he continued in his role uh, uh, through uh, the rules of Callistus, successors, Urban, we got the other names. And then, and, and then uh, both he and Aeneus was exiled to Sardinia. From all accounts, an extraordinary, unhealthy place where they were forced to work the mines. Shortly afterward, in 235, both died there. Sometime before his death, Hippolytus was reconciled to the Roman bishop. The two were martyrs, and their bodies were brought back to Rome where they were honorably buried. Right. Bottom line is, right it, it appears so yeah so but the thing is is they the bottom line here because there's a lot there we could dig into the history of but the bottom line is is it just demonstrated what there was conflict there was innovation there was fighting there was disagreement and that's just that's the that's the literal the history of christianity and i wish it wasn't the history of christianity because in theory we always say we say what? what was, there, uh, was, there there? was there was there something there? Was there or was there something there? Okay, I just want to make sure, okay, make sure that we didn't miss something, or I needed to to clear, clarify something. Uh, sadly, most of his work are are lost to us. The apostolic the apostolic tradition itself is partly preserved in a Latin and several Oriental versions. The Greek original is wholly lost, but we have fragments and the heavily edited, excer- uh, the edited excerpts and the Apostolic Constitutions. So, a lot of it has been lost, but what we do have, that's what we're going to look at. But the bottom line is, is, I just want you to realize that that's the way it went down. And I just, I just cannot stress to you the, uh, the significance of it. I, I, like There's a part of me that just like, that, that paragraph just says it all. That, that early on, the church was changing, and there was conflict. People were martyred, and you know, it's just that's the way it went down. So, let's there's a lot we hear we could read. All right. Um, well, well, just look at the uh, if you want to look at the ver- first paragraph, just so that you get an idea of what's happening here. All right. Here we go. We have set forth as we, uh, we have set forth as was necessary that part of the discourse which relates to the spiritual gifts and all that God, right from the beginning, granted to people according to his will, bringing back to himself this image which had gone astray. Now, uh, driven by love towards the saints, we have arrived at the essence of the tradition which is proper for the churches. This is so that those who are well informed may keep the... Tradition, which has lasted unto now, according to the explanation we gave we give of it, and so that others by taking note of it, may be strengthened against the fall or error which has recently occurred because of ignorance and ignorant people, with the Holy Spirit conferring perfect grace on those who have correct faith, and so that they will know that, the, that those who are the head of the church must teach and guard. All these things. Bottom line is, what was happening? Things were changing. Things were falling away. And he can blame it on them being ignorant. He can blame them on whatever. But the point was, the goal was, we got to protect this. We got to fix this. So demonstrating there was already problems underway. And that's just, it's just crazy that that's how it took place. All right? Now, um, there's much more here we could read. And I'm sorry I'm going through some of this quickly because um, I'm just I'm trying to get to where we go. But I said we were going to start where? 15. 15. So that's where we're going to go. All right? There, there's a lot here. I would challenge you to read it all, but let's start in 15. All right? Those who are newly brought forward to hear the word shall first be brought before the teachers at the house before all the people enter then they will be questioned concerning the reason that they have come forward to the faith. Those who bring them will bear witnesses concerning them as to whether they are able to hear. They shall be questioned concerning their life and occupation, marriage status, and whether they are slave or free. If they are slaves and of any of the faithful, and if their masters permit them, they may hear the word. Now, let's just stop right there. Once again, this is so important for us to realize and see, is that when everybody talks about the early church, 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 just whenever you start digging into the early church, you get confronted with things that you sometimes are like, what in the world was going on? Right. They definitely had slaves, but not only did it have slaves, the, the owner was given the, the power to determine if the person was able to hear the word of God or not. That is some pretty seriously messed- up stuff. Not only sad, it's kind of messed up, but once again, it demonstrates so I find it interesting that, so that the early church seemed to have a constant respect of authority structure, did they not? Right about respecting the authority of government and even respecting the authority of a slave owner. And the modern church it's weird. That the modern church, in many cases, we we don't like that. Like we will only respect the authority that we want to that we agree with. And the minute we don't agree with it, what we what will we do? We rebel and do what we want. Right. Um, that, that's crazy right there. If their masters do not bear witness uh, that they are good, let them be rejected. So the master gets to determine everything here. If their masters are pagans, teach them to please their masters so they will be no blasphemy. If a man has a wife or a woman, a husband, let them be taught to be content the husband with his wife and the wife with her husband. If there is a man who does not live with a woman, let him be taught not to fornicate, but either take a wife according to the law or to remain as is. If there is someone who has a demon, such as one shall not hear the word of the teacher until purified. Now this idea of being purified would obviously be somehow getting rid of the demon. All All kind of Interesting. All right. They will inquire concerning the works and occupation of those who were brought forward for instruction. It's just weird because this is almost like you have to kind of go through an application process before you can be instructed. Isn't it kind of weird? Or, or, am I the only one who thinks so? that? Okay, I, only, I find it kind of interesting, right? Now this, I, 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 there's no way, I don't know what word they should have used. I find it funny that they use this in my translation. I don't know what word they have in your translation. If someone is a pimp, <laughs> someone is a pimp. It's not even funny, but I can't believe they have pimp. Okay, right. but I just find that funny. I, 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 I doubt that was the word they used at that time. Okay. But that's the word in my, does everyone have the word pimp in their translation? <laughs> it, I don't know. Does anybody else find that funny? I find that funny. If someone is a pimp or supports prostitutes, he shall cease, or he shall be rejected. If someone is a sculptor or a painter, let him be taught not to make idols. Wow, can make sculpture or paint. Now again, I just I find why, why I love this stuff. For this reason, because again, if you get into an argument about the early church, well, well, the early church believed in baptism. Well, the early church believed there was an application process in order to be taught. So like, uh, well, we, we don't have to agree with them on that. Well, then why do I have to agree with them on baptism? I, I, just, it just, I just get so irritated when people want to argue with me about church history. Because it's like, just go read it. And you know how much of it we would be doing what with? Not going to do that, not going to do that. And then people will say, well, they're only authoritative when they agree with Scripture. They're only authoritative when they agree with you. All right, let's just be honest, okay? So, just, this is just crazy. Does that, is this not crazy? All right. If someone is an actor or does show in the theater, either he shall cease or he shall be rejected. Can't be in the theater. Okay. Can't, can't go to the, so this would, I mean, once again, if we took the early church, you wouldn't even be watching movies or in TV, and you wouldn't be going to a play, and you wouldn't be going to a movie theater, and you wouldn't probably be even reading a novel. Well, let's let's see what they say. Um, if someone teaches children worldly knowledge, it is good that he ceases. Now, what, what does it mean, worldly knowledge? Like, you can't teach them, like... History. You can't teach him anything other than spiritual things? Okay. Um, but if he has no other trade, let him be permitted. So, But if he doesn't have another job, then okay, he can go ahead and teach. Like, you See how subjective it is? It is kind of... I, I don't know. Okay. And, and, and the next one is someone, I guess, who a, charit-er, a chariteer? a charioteer, there we go, likewise are the one who takes part in, in the games or the one who goes to the games, he shall s- cease or shall be rejected. So you can't be sports, can't be doing sports. Charioteer, I'm assuming, is racing chariots, right? Okay, so uh, if someone is a gladiator or one who teaches those among the gladi- gladiators how to fight or a hunter who is in the wild beast shows in the arena, or a public official who is concerned with gladiator shows either he shall cease or he shall be rejected. You can tell this is in Rome, though. Yeah, yeah, you can tell this is in Rome. Yeah, you can t- definitely tell this in Rome, right? Um, um, yes, very specific. If someone is a priest of idols or an attendant of idols, he shall cease or he shall be rejected. A military man and authority must not execute men. If he is ordered, he must not carry it out. Nor must or, or nor must he take military oath. If he refuses, he shall be rejected. So can't take an oath in the military. Well, then you wouldn't even be able to join the military, right? Because That's interesting could, because if you're like if you, uh, water, I yeah, so you now you couldn't execute anyone. Yeah, couldn't execute anyone. Couldn't. Well, remember the early church was very pacifistic, right? It's the American church who was like you know okay okay but uh, but uh but and then until the uh, until the roman until you had to merge your church and state then you definitely had a more military com because now but it was not that the it, that, see the whole merging of church and state was such an odd thing because the church could be militant but it wasn't really the church it was the state but you merged the two so the church could in a sense, still say that their hands were clean because it was really the, the state's military that would be carrying out whatever. It was kind of a weird thing. Like, well, the civil authorities put him to death, not the church. But the church is the one who declared that what he did was worthy of death, death because it was a heresy. It's a really weird game that was played. But um, yeah, you, 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 military service would not probably work and be in the church then. So they put it this way. They wouldn't have been having we support our troop services. Okay, they, they would have been doing that. People would have been coming to church in their uniform and, and everyone would stand up and applaud. If you're, a, if you're here today and you're in the military, everyone, yeah, you've seen churches, do that. none of that would have been happening at, at that time. All right. Um, if someone is a military governor or the ruler of a city who wears the purple, he shall cease or he shall be rejected. The catechumen or faithful who want to become a soldier is to be rejected for he has despised God. A catechumen is someone who's trying to go through catechesis. And if he wants to become a soldier, gone. And again, people go, but the early church said this about infant baptism. Well, yeah, well, well how about the rest of the things? Well, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Again, it's so selective, but lot's going on here? The prostitute, the wanton man, the one who castrates himself, or the one who does that which... Uh, may not be mentioned are to be rejected for they are impure. So, I mean, it's almost like if you do certain things, you're just done, I guess. I I don't know. Like, do you get a second chance here? It it seems very dogmatic, does it not? A magus shall not even be brought forward for consideration. Do we know what a magus is? Oh, it's a magician. Thank you. All right. A magician shall not even be brought forward uh, for consideration, I was looking to see if I had a footnote, uh, but, okay, good. So, so. Would be someone like magic or... I'm assuming in this case they would probably perceive it as practicing actual magic, where we would perceive it as someone doing sleight of hand for entertainment purposes, right? So they would probably see it a little differently, all right? Um, an enchanter or astrologer, or diviner of interpreter of dreams, or charlatan, or one who makes amulets, either they shall cease or they shall be rejected. If someone's concubine is a slave, now please note that isn't this not weird. If someone's concubine is a slave, as long as as long as she has raised her children and has clung only to him, let her hear, otherwise she shall be rejected. Well, wait a minute. No, but no, but that, what I'm missing is, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, the con- the, these are rules governing the concubine. Yeah. Where is the rule governing the fact that no one should have a concubine? I know, but I'm just mentioning this right now. That's my first thought here, right? That's my first thought. It just seems weird, like, we're going to make a rule for the concubine. It just seems weird that the concubine would have a rule, all right? But um, it says... Uh, hang on, where did I stop here? If someone's concubine is uh, a slave, as long as she has raised her children, has clung only to him, let her hear, otherwise she shall be rejected. The man who has a concubine must cease and take a wife according to the law. If he will not, uh, he shall be rejected. So I guess in this case, I, I understand, it, but it just seems that like, the fact that there's rules governing the concubine just seems odd to me in the first place. But at least they tell the man that he's got to do what? Get rid, Get rid of the concubine. So at least that's good, all right? But, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we have all of that kind of straight. Basically, what do we take away from all of that? Yeah, a whole lot of things determine whether you could hear the Word of God. And being in the military could put you in a pretty much place where you couldn't, (laughs) which is just crazy. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. Well, I mean, You could go through a lot of this. Where would you even get this from Scripture? Where would you get, like, who can hear, who can't hear? Like, there would be none of that, right? I mean, like, so once again, what did we realize? 2.15, there's all these ideas and concepts coming into the church that you're like, what What happened? Where did that come from? And it's always been that way. It's always been that way. It's always been that way. Well, I, well, I know, but because I mean, all in the New Testament it's like you go and tell everybody, anybody that'll listen, you know, to everybody, and right. all of a sudden, like, matter of two hundred, the they're year like, year no, you days. gotta yeah. go through this person's life and see if they're worthy. Of yeah, there's an application process. Yeah, I know. Right. I, we need to talk about your career. We. Need, oh, wait. Are you a? Are you a concubine? Okay. Well. Okay. Now. <laughs> wait. Wait. Well, what? What? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> What what is and doesn't it get kind of subjective in some of that? Like you're a concubine. Well, I mean it's okay as long as you stay with that one man and raise. What what, how does that work? Why wouldn't and I guess ultimately like my mind was thinking. Well, wait a minute. What about the man with the concubine? I know the next one talks about that, but it's funny that he doesn't tell the concubine to leave that man. Isn't that weird? Hey, you, as long as you're with that one man, you're okay. Well, wait a minute. Why wouldn't she have to leave? Isn't that weird? It's like, well, we can't mess up the, the concubine business too much. I guess I don't know. Uh, it, it, there's just she might not have actually done anything really wrong, as far as you know. She might not have had a choice. Completely. Well, true. Well, oh, absolutely true. Right. True. 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 Right. True. But she'd still be involved in an adulterous relationship from a theological perspective. right? But I, of course, it's taking into consideration that she may have been taken or may not have a choice in the matter. But it's just, uh, it's just once you get, you get into all of this, it gets odd. Right. Yeah, but the slave as well. I mean, the whole thing is just crazy. The whole thing is just crazy. All right. But the next one. All right. Catacumens. Will hear the word for how many years? Three years. Yet, if someone is earnest and preserves well in the matter, it is not the time that is judged, but the conduct. All right. Now you got. So we have in two fifteen the idea of catechumens. We have seeming a process. This almost sounds like a process. Almost like kind of the Catholic Church's process of you having to go through, in a sense, kind of the adult confirmation process before you can be baptized, which I think is three years. Um, I, I, I don't have my catechism in front of me, uh, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. Popes are already mentioned and everything. Right, right. Which, once again, when people are like, well, the early church didn't have popes in the... <laughs> 215, you already have popes mentioned. Right, yeah, exactly. You have bishops, you have all these things mentioned, right. Now, that kind of structure started way early. and And you could argue, well, should we go back to that structure? There's... The only problem is there's no way for us to go back to that structure. All we could do is go back to Rome, to the Roman Catholic Church, which then, well, wait a minute, if we've determined there, it's church history gets ugly in trying to figure it all all out. But there's no question so much has changed, all right? Uh, uh, Number 18. When the teacher finishes his instruction, the catechumens will pray by themselves, separate from the faithful. The woman will also pray in another place in the church by themselves, whether faithful women or, cate- or, or catechumen women. So basically this separates the women from, from everyone else. Now if you've ever been to an Islamic uh, mosque or an Islamic service, the, the women are behind a curtain separated from everyone. So this kind of goes back to that early kind of concept of separating the women from the men. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can have a long discussion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not even a part of the faithful until you've gone through the catechesis process, right? You're separated. After the catechumens have finished praying, they do not give the kiss of peace, for their kiss is not yet pure. All right? So they're not even allowed to do that because they're not pure. Now, already you should see some of the craziness in this, because even after people go through this process, are they pure? No. So you've already got major theological issues developing here and, and problems. But the faithful shall greet one another with a kiss, men with men, and women with women. Men must not greet women with a kiss. Right? All the women should cover their heads with a pallium. And, if, and if it's kind of like, if you look up the word pallium, um, or palum, I think it's maybe how you say it. You can look it up if you need to. You can kind of get a picture of what it looks like. If you want to look it up so you can see. It's an ecclesiastical vestment in the Catholic Church. It was originally peculiar to the Pope. Everybody see it? It's a wool investment. Typically, it's sometimes conferred by the Pope on an archbishop consisting of a narrow circular band placed around the shoulders with a short thing hanging from, uh, from uh, front and back. So this thing that they would wear. All right, Everybody kind of get an idea what they look like or what I'm referring to here? Well, in in this particular case, though, it seems that it had a different thing because if you go back to it and uh, the end of verse or paragraph 18, all the women should cover their heads with a pallium and not simply with a piece of linen, which is not a proper veil. So they're using that word. Right, so it was some kind of covering for the women. I think it turned into, I think it tur- turned into like a vestment for the church, right? But I think early on it was some kind of veil, some kind of covering that they had to wear. Does that make sense? Um, well, I don't know. Right, right. right. Um, I don't know um, if it was restricted to that. But we could say you could in the context of 18 you could argue that it was in the context of a church service. But but you it like, it was kind of like a saw, like it was a big piece of material that wrapped around the... Okay. All right, not the head? I guess it depends on which definition we look yeah. up. Okay. Yeah. Where, where we look, sorry, but if something, obviously, to, to d- distinguish them, you, modesty for sake, set apart, all, all the things. But here says all, all the women should cover their heads with a, a pallium. So this says the head's covered. Yeah, so I'm This is what I'm thinking. Right. right. It's like a shawl thing that you wrap around your body. And when they go oh, the, that would make sense. Not just it could be like something. just a linen cloth. Right. Got you. It could be like something that you have wear around you. Like, and then when you come into the church, you pull it up over your head. You know, so that would make possible sense. Then it would fit for the church service. All right, that would kind of fit there perfectly. That makes sense. All right, number uh, 19. After the prayer, the teacher shall lay hands upon the catechumens, pray and dismiss them, whether such as one of the lay people or the clergy let, let him do so. If any catechumens uh, are apprehended because of the name of the Lord, let them not be double-hearted because of martyrdom. If they may suffer violence and be executed with their sins, not removed, they will be justified, for they have received baptism in their own blood. All right, so a couple, of, couple of, uh, of things that should make you a little nervous here. All right, one, it seems to, seem to indicate this is catechumens, right? All right, so it seems that the catechumen is not justified because they haven't been baptized, which seems to clearly give us an indication that the baptism now is seen as, again, a sacrament. But you can be okay if you die, if you're martyred, because now your blood serves as your baptism. Which, once again, showing that the church had a weird view of what doctrine. Justification. I cannot stress that enough. Be process, your sins are not removed. No, your sins are not removed until you're going to be baptized. But because you're going to die before that happens, before the cate- catechesis process, that as long as you're apprehended and killed, then you're going to be justified. So how, what do you kill? Ain't that crazy? You're justified by your death, not the death of Christ. This is justification by your death. But it's because of the name of the Lord, because you're dying in his name, but you're not being, you're not being saved by his death. You're being saved by your death. That's just totally messed up. Blood. Blood. blood, right. In other words, you're not being saved by his blood. Yeah, yeah, it clearly tells us where they're going, right? It clearly tells us where they're going. Why well, hadn't their sins been forgiven? They Haven't been baptized. But guess what? You shed your blood. There's your baptism. So, it, it, it's, yeah. I guess I guess your blood is sufficient to cleanse you of all your sins. So by that logic, why don't I just go home, cut myself open, and pour my blood all over me, and then I'll be good to go, right? As long as I like like, like I should should that not work? Okay. Oh, because but because I'm not being martyred. Yeah. It just. But I'm just saying it's just a weird arbitrary rule that, oh, you can go to heaven as long as you're being martyred. That's, that's just... But if they die any other way during those three years, they're just at the creek, I guess? Yeah. I, unless, you know, you old, uh, so. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, possibly, yeah. Okay, now, uh, 20... Oh, man, we're going to run out of time. All right. When they are chosen, who are to receive baptism, let their lives be... Examine Now, isn't interesting? When they are chosen, who are to receive baptism? Now, I guess you have to go through this process, and then they get to determine if you, they choose you to receive baptism, if you're good enough. Their lives be examined, whether they have lived honorably while catechumens, while they honored the widows, whether they visited the sick, whether they've done every good work, if those who bring them forward bear witness for them, they have done so, then let them hear the gospel. You don't even get to hear the gospel until you have proven how good you are. Also, it's interesting, you've got to prove how good you are even to get baptism. All right? Number, uh, next one. Everyone, I know everyone's going ahead and reading ahead, but... All right. from, that, from the time at which they are set apart, place hands upon them daily so that they are exercised. Interesting. Exorcised. If I said exorcised, right? I guess they're trying to get rid of demons, okay? (laughs) All right, here we go. Um, When the day approaches on which they are to be baptized, let the bishop exorcise each one of them so that they will be certain whether each has been purified. If they are any who are not purified, they shall be set apart. They have not heard the word and faith, for the foreign spirit remained with each of them. Well, at this point, yeah, they're... Well, they don't even get a chance to get there until you can get the, I guess, the demons out. You've got to get the demons out. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Let those who are to be baptized be instructed that they bathe and wash on the fifth day of the week. So, that seems to be the fifth day of the week when they are to be baptized. Isn't that interesting? Right? Does, does everyone agree that that's interesting? Alright, at least I think so, okay? If a woman in the manner of women let her be set apart, right, isolated, and receive baptism another day, I'm assuming that's during her cycle, uh, if it's during her cycle, she has to be separated, Right. Those who are to receive baptism shall fast uh, on the preparation of the Sabbath. All right. Um, on the Sabbath. And I'm assuming they're, they're referring to the Sabbath as Saturday. Those who are to receive baptism shall be gathered together in one place, chosen according to the will of the bishop. So who gets to choose? The bishop. They will be uh, commanded to pray and kneel. Then laying his hands on them, he will exorcise every foreign spirit, exorcise every foreign spirit, so that they flee from them and never return to them. When he has finished exorcising them, he shall breathe on their faces and seal their forehead, ears, and noses. Then he shall raise them up. They all keep vigil all night, reading and instructing them. Right, so they've got to stay up all night being. Read to and instructed, they those who are to be baptized are not to bring any vessel, only that which each brings for the Eucharist. It is indeed proper each bring the oblation in the same hour. Yeah, I believe it's an offering. Okay, All right. Um. Oh man. Uh, they're, bringing, they're not to bring any vessel, only that which each brings for the Eucharist. So they must bring some kind of vessel for the Eucharist itself, I guess. I don't know exactly what they're going to do with it. Yeah, they're going to take, take it in connection with their baptism. Yeah, they're going to take it with... Well, it's very, very Catholic-like, right? What do you for receive your first communion? Uh, when you're confirmed, right? Yeah, yeah, whenever confirmation is over, right? So... Um, and here they're, they're going to be baptized after their instruction, which again hasn't said anything about infant. Obviously, all of this is negated. What infant baptism? So far, it's negated infant baptism. They're going to be instructed. You got to be got to go through all that. Watch, then they're going to come around, and I guess they're going to probably make an exception. To all of that, we'll have to see. But we're we're out of time, so we're all right. Yeah, we'll just stop right there, and we'll we'll back up and we'll cover some of this again. All right, so. All right, so what can we take from this? All right, you can stop reading. So what can we, what can we take from this? I okay. thought there was a three-year plan, but may, maybe it's only one year. Maybe it's one year. Okay, they baptize on Easter, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, let me, um, hang on, let me see something. Confirmation may be a year. Hang on, let me me. I'm going to verify something. I don't want to give wrong information live on the air, so all right. Okay, you can stop reading. Yes. (laughs) Right, well, again, it's just, it's just funny when people are like, you know, the early church, the early church. Well, then take off all your clothes when you get baptized. Okay, All right. Um, the, US, uh, the U.S. statute for the RCIA calls for at least 12-month period between the acceptance into the order of the catechumens and the celebration of baptism. So at least one year. And I'm looking at all the, the rules here. Um, but yeah. Right, so at least a year. But that, I'm not shocked by that because the early church was always shortening. As the church progressed, they kept shortening and shortening and shortening things. Uh, remember the liturgy of the hours. They shortened, those hours. They, they shortened everything. Uh, the, uh, they shortened some of the, fa- the requirements for fasting. Because what happens? Over time, people become less and less willing to participate, and they, they, change, they, they change things. All right, we'll have to finish uh, the rest of that, but let's try to summarize. What What is their takeaways from this, the main takeaways from this? Well, the most important, ta- let's go from the most important takeaways. We just see in 215 AD, the church was already undergoing... Change, change. I I want to make sure we understand this. The church was going through change. And why was the church going through change? This is different from everyone. This This is all different from what? The Didache? And it's even different from Tertullian. So already we're like, well, wait, well, then what's the right way to do it? Like, if we can take three early church documents and there's not even agreement upon those three early church documents, then nobody can sit here and tell me, well, the early church unanimously thought, the early church didn't unanimously think on anything. All right, because there was always disagreements on everything. But what I wanted you to see from this, and this is what I'm really trying to emphasize tonight, is that the early church was already going through change. And the church has gone through change from all the way from the 33 AD until 2023. And why the church goes through change, and even though nobody wants to admit this, the scriptures are rarely the authority, no matter how much we want to pretend that it is. Everyone can say all day, this is the authority, this is the authority. Everyone's going to do what they want to do. And if they don't like what's going on, they're going to go start another church or go to another church, leave the church. It's just, it's maddening, right? And, and, and I, I hate that I'm so just utterly frustrated with the whole thing, but at some point you're just like, whatever, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter anymore. It just, it's just so irritating. Because you would think if this is the one source that we could all go what? Okay, well, I mean, when you're going to start developing an entire doctrine with baptism... The Bible doesn't give us a lot, does it? But they turn it into this now elaborate three-year process of got to be, first you've got to be interviewed before you can even start the process. Then it's three years. you got to get a demon somehow cast out of you. Okay, okay. And then, you get, then you're got to be examined, I guess, at the end of the three years to see if you did the right things during the three year. You're going to be examined before. You, and then all of this, wait, wait, wait. when... <laughs> I mean, in Scripture, it's like, "Hey, you believe you are yeah. baptized." Yeah, right, right. Oh, well, well, I mean, we we can get into a, whole, a lot of the issues here, but the point is, is it's so different from this, so different from the Bible. So, and, and it's just, and so when people say the early church, well, they believe this about infant baptism. They believed a lot of other crazy stuff about baptism. So why is it that you throw out all the other stuff and tell me that I should follow the early church because they believe in infant baptism, where I could argue, well, they also believe you should take off all your clothes? They also believed that there was a, a, an application process before you could even hear the word, then a three-year process to be taught, then demons have to be basically cast out of you, then you have to have your life examined again before you can even get baptized. Oh, and by the way, if you happen to be martyred, you just go to heaven automatically because you've been baptized in your blood. Well, well no, all of that's ridiculous. Well, it's from the same people who told me I should baptize a baby. Okay, so, well, what are you talking about? So I, it's, I just want, that's what, remember, that was the whole goal of this series, is to try to demonstrate that, because I did not like the way I, that when I got hijacked that day and, and, and basically ambushed, that it was all like, I'm an idiot because I reject the early church's teaching on infant baptism. And it just ticked me off because I'm like, well, what about all the other stuff? Well, I mean, if it doesn't agree with scripture, we don't have to go along with it. Oh, imagine that. You get to be the one to determine what does and doesn't go with Scripture? Because if we go back to them, they would probably say, "They're with Scripture." <laughs> okay, even if it's not even there. Which, no yeah, right. I mean, I mean, you can just see how crazy it is. All right. So that that's the first thing I want uh, to take away. The second thing I want you to, to take away from it is just to see how wildly different three historical sources are. Right. The first one, I just want you to realize the disagreement shows you what the authority was. And the second, I just want you to see how wildly different that it was so that we have to be willing to acknowledge that. Because I don't want anyone to ever be able to put you in some corner and say, well, you just don't know church history. You know, church history. And what have you seen? It's crazy that this is even the situation. And then uh, but from their belief on baptism, it sounds like for us, what would be required is someone would have to first be. I take an application before they can even hear the word. Then once they hear the word and they enter into becoming a catechumen, then they have to go through a three-year process. At the end of the three-year process, they have to be interviewed again to determine how well they did. And then I guess possibly we can finally get to baptism. Oh, yeah, you've got to have, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to go through all of this before I guess you could actually. So it sounds like that before you really heard the gospel, what you have to do is be taught all the things you're supposed to do. Yeah. Law-based. Very law-based. Because you're right, it seems to imply that you had to do this before you could even hear the gospel. Yeah. You, you clearly could, aren't, wouldn't viewed as justified until the process was over. We were you weren't even part of the faithful. You were impure. Why? Well, if you're a catechumen, you could come in, but you were impure. You couldn't greet people with a holy kiss. And yeah, you were impure. But you're not justified. You're lost. You have to go through a process in order to hear the gospel so that you can become saved. Like, that is so radically different. That's how the and it demonstrates that the way the early church thought about justification and so many things is so radically different than the way we think. All right, we'll have to stop right there, and then Sunday we'll finish this. All right, Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, I wish we could all say sitting in this room and all the people listening online that your word is our authority. We have to acknowledge so many times we place ourselves as the authority and ask you to forgive us for every time we have done so. Lord, it is sometimes disturbing to see all the changes and never-ending disagreements that has arisen in church history or just help us just realize how fallible all people have been in every generation including ourselves and that we find that it humbles us to some level and makes us more determined to try to listen to what your word says instead of listening to what we want we ask this in jesus name and God's people said